Okay, Book of Amos tonight. So we have a few more weeks, probably through the month of August, we'll finish up because uh, we'll combine a couple of these, what we call minor prophets. Um, Next week, we'll probably combine at least two together. Uh, The book of Obadiah is only one chapter, and the book of Nahum is two chapters, and we'll probably combine that in one study uh, next week, and then there are a couple of others that are three chapters long, and um, then you have Jonah that's four chapters, and there's a lot in Jonah, and um, then you have uh, a few more. So probably through this month and either the first or second Sunday, I mean Wednesday, excuse me, in September, we'll probably start in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. So we've got a few more weeks in what we call the Minor Prophets. We've looked at a few already, and again, we're combining some probably at least next week, maybe a couple of weeks but at least for next week we'll be combining. So anyway, with all that to say, uh, we're in Amos tonight. And as you look through the book of Amos, there are nine chapters in the book of Amos. And it's, uh, it's a medium-sized book, maybe a little, uh, you know, it's of course bigger than some of the what we call minor prophets. And again, just to, to remind you, minor prophets, they're not minor in their importance. It's just they're generally smaller books and they're, their prophecy pretty much is most of the time it's limited to Israel. But now Amos, as we'll see tonight, God has a message for him to Israel and Judah, and then also to the nations around and surrounding him. And we'll we'll see that tonight in the book of Amos, more so than some of the other books, what we call minor prophets. So as we make our way through Amos and look in these nine chapters, um, the get this to work right here. There we go. The, um, there are nine chapters in the book and the phrase or word rather, excuse me, transgress or the longer words transgression is found 12, 12 times. Of course, to transgress, it sounds, it sounds very similar to trespass, transgress, trespass. It means that you, um, uh, go against the law of God. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is falling short of God's glory. And to transgress means that you, um, you uh, disobey God's law. You willfully disobey. And that's what we've seen all through all, these, all the minor prophets, and the major ones too, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We've seen where they had disobeyed God and disobeyed God. Uh, and because of that, he would send reproof after reproof, uh, in some cases even famine, as we'll see a little bit tonight, uh, to get his people, get their attention back to him. And then, uh, so that's 12 times that, that word, either transgress or transgression, is found. And then also in our GPS, I will not turn away the punishment of so-and-so, of this person, of that nation. Eight times that is found in the book of uh, Amos. Uh, we're going to look at, um, in the, in the um, first few verses, we're not going to read you know, the whole book as we never do. It's just too much to read. We're going to look at the first uh, several verses just to get an idea of how, how Amos starts out and the um, prophecy that he has to neighboring nations. And so when we start in chapter 1 and verse 1, the time, of his, um, the time of his prophecy, his ministry, was roughly about 783 to 753 B.C., roughly about 30 years. And as we've seen in each of these minor prophets, some of them are later. And when we get to Malachi, he's the last one that writes, and he's the last book also in the Old Testament that we have. And so we'll see that he is much, much later you know, than, than, than all but maybe one or two others. And so um, Amos is during a time of um, two kings. 
in the, the southern kingdom, Uzziah was the king at the time, and then also Jeroboam, who is in Israel at the time. But let's look at um, chapter 1 and verse 1 just to get an introduction and see a little bit about this. And then also, let me go ahead and go to the next screen, which says almost the same thing except for it mentions two prophets also here. Look at chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa. It's spelled like Tekoa, Georgia, but it's, I mean, it sounds pronounced like Tekoa, Georgia, but it's spelled T-E-K-O-A, but it pronounced it just like Tekoa. Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So if you look those up, you'll see in, in, uh, back in the Kings or Chronicles where they're recorded. And uh, we looked at their lives way back when we studied in 1st, 2nd Kings and 1st, 2nd Chronicles. Then it says, um, uh, Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, we won't look at this tonight, but actually when we get into one of the other books later, the book of Zechariah, it will refer back to Amos 1 verse 1, and we'll, we'll look at that then. But it says there, um, in the days of Uzziah and the days of Jeroboam. And then we also uh, find out that he is also, um, his time is also during the prophets Isaiah and the prophet Hosea. Hold your place in Amos and back up if you will. Isaiah is the first of the Old Testament prophets as far as the books of the prophets. It's right after Song of Solomon. We studied this one several weeks back. And here we'll see the those kings also, or at least King Uzziah mentioned here. So we'll see that there was some, some time frame overlap with Isaiah and with Amos. Verse 1 of Isaiah, chapter 1, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So Uzziah was also mentioned in Amos. Then if you'll go back and um, towards Amos, and a book we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Hosea, two weeks ago, uh, it's right before the book of uh, Joel, Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord that came into Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah. Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So that almost says the same thing as Amos chapter 1, verse 1. So you see where it names those same two kings, Uzziah and Jeroboam. Isaiah names Uzziah. So we see uh, his time frame, and it helps us kind of put together uh, the time in which he prophesied to his ministry lasted roughly about 30 years. So a couple things we'll look at. In Amos chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, and then also Amos 9, verse 11 and 12, those are quoted in both of them in the book of Acts. So uh, before we go a little further into Amos, let's take a look at these. Amos chapter 5, and then if you want to hold your place there and go to Acts, since both of them are uh, close together in both books, it might be easier to just hold, hold one in, in one hand and one in the other. Amos chapter 5, verse 26, and then we'll go to the book of Acts, chapter 7. Amos 5, verse 25, and verse 26. Uh, Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of, of Moloch and Cheon, your images, and starved your God, which ye made to yourselves." 
And then over in the book of Acts chapter 7, Acts 7 verse 42 and 43, this is quoted in a message, a sermon by a man named Stephen. Verse 42, Then God turned and gave them to worship the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered up slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Remphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So um, what was going on in the book of Acts is the, the, um, the man named Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church, Stephen was um, basically giving the uh, uh, religious leaders, the, uh, the Jewish leaders, uh, a history of what God had done for them. And he, he quotes from Amos there. So if you go back to Amos chapter 9, and then we'll go back to Acts, and then we'll move on and look at our outline of, uh, of Amos. Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and verse 12. In that day, and this is referring to... Um, when the Lord sets up his kingdom. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build, uh, build it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Acts 15, verse 16 and 17. And that is being quoted by James here, one of the, one of the uh, apostles. Verse 16, verse 17, Acts 15. This, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. So just about every one of the minor prophets is quoted at some point. There may be an exception or two, but almost all of them is quoted in the New Testament. Sometimes directly, like those two places from Amos and the two places in Acts where it's quoted. So um, they're found, uh, some, of, some of their prophecies or their writing is found uh, in the New Testament as well. So it was written to Judah, but it was also written to Israel. Amos is one of the uh, couple of, of prophets that actually prophesied to both. We see where there are one or two that prophesied only to the, ten north, uh, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and some that's only to Judah, which are Judah and Benjamin. But Amos, um, his message, his ministry is to Judah and to Israel, both the southern and northern tribes, and also the nations warning of God's coming judgment. So what, jo uh, what Amos does is uh, he first brings a message of, of God's judgment to the, to the nations around them, the heathen, if you want to use that word, which really is what they were, and then he brings his message back to Israel, but not without first warning the neighboring nations. And uh, because it's the through the neighboring nations, idolatry was, was running rampant in Israel and in Judah. So here's a quick outline uh, of the nine chapters broke, broke down into, broken down into three basic sections. They're not all the same length, of course. As you can tell, the middle one's a little, little longer. But chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, there's judgment um, that is, that is uh, warning given of judgment in surrounding nations. And one of the reasons, again, is because of the idolatry of these nations. In fact, I read from you uh, chapter 5 of Amos where it talks about Moloch. Moloch was one of the, the, foreign, the gods they, they, they um, worshipped in Moab. And when you read through in this chapter and it talks about Moab, it refers to that. 
and um, they were uh, that was a God to whom children were sacrificed. That's how bad things were. And Israel was actually worshiping those same gods. But anyway, judgment on surrounding nations, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. Then the longer section is chapter 2, verse 4, through chapter 6, verse 14, where there's judgment on Judah and on Israel. And because they're God's people, they're held in higher accountability, of course. And so there's more mentioned about judgment toward them uh, because of that. And then in chapter 7 and 9, those chapters deal mostly with the future, what is to come uh, in, uh, later on in the uh, tribulation and even after in the millennium. So that's a basic breakdown of the book. So as we do oftentimes, let's go through and just look, uh, break it down a little bit further and get an idea. Remember we said in chapter 1, verse 1 to, to 2, verse 3, I believe it is, talks about the, the nations around. So uh, for time's sake, let's just read of one or so, one or maybe two of these. Start at chapter 1, verse 1. I mean, verse 2, we already read verse 1. And let's read down to verse um, 8. And notice this phrase, he uses the word transgression or transgressions, remember that. But also there's another phrase that he uses for emphasis. Let's, let's see this, look at verse 2. And he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the inhabitants, or excuse me, and the habitations rather of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. That's a mountain there in the mountain range or a mountain there in the, in the north. Verse 3. Thus saith the Lord, and here's the phrase I want you to see. For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Haziel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. All that's in Syria and Damascus. Verse 5, I will break the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Kerr. That's a, another neighboring country, saith the Lord. So here, we won't go through all of them, but here there is judgment brought on Syria for their cruelty. It, it mentions there um, that they threshed Gilead with instruments of iron. They were merciless as they came through and destroyed many of the people uh, in, the, in the region of Gilead there in Israel. Uh, pick up verse 6 and down through verse 8, and this is where he brings judgment on Philistia, another neighboring um, country, which is actually way down towards the south. Verse 6, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza and for four. So he uses that, that expression as emphasis over and over. For three and for four. Three and four is seven. So he, his, his patience ran out after they kept transgressing against against um, God and against his commands. I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them to Edom. But I will, I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza which shall devour the, devour the palaces there. Now you, uh, even to this day you hear sometimes in the news the Gaza Strip which is the western part of Israel right there at the, uh, at the sea. Right there at the ocean, at the sea there. And so um, Gaza to this day that is still a name of uh, that area. Verse 8, And I'll cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon and turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. So it talks about they were, will be, um, they carried captive the whole captivity. They brought them into slavery is what he's saying. And so there'll be, there was, he's going to bring judgment on them for slavery. So without reading the rest of them, we'll just look at our outline. Phoenicia broke a treaty with them 
And so God was uh, bringing up, he's going to bring judgment on, on Phoenicia, on that region for that. Edom, remember Edom, is a, well, they were descendants of Esau. Remember in the uh, uh, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Jacob had the 12 tribes. Isaac's brother was Esau. And through Esau, Isaac was the son of the promise. Remember Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. But Esau was a brother, another of, of, uh, of Abraham's son, or, or of uh of, yeah, of Abraham's son. Esau um, was, was um, he was, um, he became, later on his name was changed to Edom, was his name. And so the Edomites are actually, you know, descendants, but yet they're not of the promise. And uh, they were very revengeful toward them. And so verse 11 and 12, it mentions the, the chapter 1, it mentions the revenge or the uh, judgment he brings on them. Chapter 13, uh, 1, verse 13 to 15 um, he brings judgment on Amnon for violent crimes towards them. And we won't read it for time's sake and we won't read it. There's just, it goes into some really gory detail of how horrible Amnon was towards Israel. And then Moab also for their injustice. If you remember any, any of your um, uh, Old Testament history from Genesis, remember uh, Lot's son. This is, you know, kind of PG-13 here, but Lot's sons that descended from his two daughters, remember, after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. The Bible says that they, they fled. Lot's wife turned and looked back and turned to a pill of salt. Uh, Lot and his two daughters fled. They hid in a cave. And remember, he got drunk. And then both daughters conceived. One daughter conceived a son named Ammon, or Amnon, who became the Ammonites. And then the... Um, from Moab were the Moabites uh, later on. And so after that, there was always trouble, always pro problems with them, with Israel and with them for, from time on. Chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, now he starts towards it, Judah and Israel because Judah had despised the law, verse 4 and 5. In fact, let's look at chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Judah and for four. So now that he has brought judgment in the first chapter, in the first couple of verses, second chapter, on the nations around them, now he's bringing judgment to uh, his own, to Judah, and then, and then to Israel in just a moment. Verse 4, um, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord, and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err, after the, which the fathers have walked, and I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. And so uh, that's what happens later on as they go into captivity to Babylon. If you remember some of our other books we've studied, especially when we talked about Daniel, Babylon came in and, and uh, sacked Jerusalem and took over uh, Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes, the southern kingdom, and devoured the palace of Jerusalem, devoured the temple. Everything was destroyed. So the things that he says here to them, they come to pass later. And they did happen, just as he said they would. But at this point, it's something that he prophesies to them. Then verse 6 to 16, he spends more time on the northern uh, kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel, and talks about the judgment that he will bring upon them. Then we get to chapter 3, and uh, we see God's charge against all twelve tribes. He mentions uh, in this short chapter that he brings a charge against all of them because of their disobedience. And then chapter 4, they're punished for their past iniquity um, under the king's and then in chapter 5, they'll be punished for their future iniquity, their future disobedience, in which they'll, um, that's later on when they would go into captivity. Chapter 6, they're warned 
about the present. And um, in that, um, he gives a warning and mentions, um, mentions some of the, um, let's see, pick up verse um, seven. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive and of the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. Uh, verse eight, the Lord God, this is chapter six, verse eight, the Lord God hath sworn himself, saith the Lord God of hosts, I will abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. So, you know, roughly a hundred years or so before they actually go into captivity, God brings that uh, message to them, that judgment. They're warned in the present of, of what was going to happen. Then he gives some visions in chapter 7, uh, verse 1 to 3, verse 4 to 6, and then he's, uh, verse 7 to 9, and then verse 10 to 17. They're historic events, but he gives some visions um, in chapter 8 and also chapter 9 as well. Chapter 10, uh, 7, verse 10 to 17 is kind of an interlude where he talks about some things that were going on at the actual time. But in verse 1 to 3, he talks about a vision of grasshoppers that he would send. Verse 1, thus hath, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was latter, um, Lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. So get grasshoppers ascend, they're going to eat all the vegetation. And so he had a vision of that that would happen. Then verse 4 to 6, about a fire that would happen. And of course, in, uh, um, in both uh, Israel and Judah, when they went into captivity, well, especially Judah, when the temple was destroyed and the city by fire. Verse 7 to 9, and we're going to come back to this at the end and talk about this. But here he sees the vision of a plumb line. And we'll come back to this in a moment and talk about it. Verse 7, thus hath he showed me, behold, the Lord stood up on a wall, made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And um, look at verse 8. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Good answer, Amos. That's the right answer. Good answer. This, then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be, be desolate. And we'll talk about that plumb line. And then verse 10 to 17 records some, some events of things that were happening at that time as he, was, as he was ministering and prophesying and kind of takes a break. So in chapter 8, he has a vision of a basket of summer fruit. And as we'll see in just a moment, that's what, um, that's what Amos did. He wasn't the son of a prophet or a priest or anything. He was basically an everyday farmer, one of the common people, and he, um, he uh, picked fruit. And that's what he did. And so one of the visions God gave him was a basket of summer fruit. And that's found in chapter 8, um, all through that chapter there. And then when you get to chapter 9, there are two more. Verse 1 to 10, there's a worldwide dispersion of Israel, which um, you know happened after they went into captivity and has happened ever since then. But then there will be a world, worldwide regathering and restoration there in chapter 9, starting at verse 10. And we read... Um, Verse 11, a while ago, when we look back at Acts 15, where it talk, talked about, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen. And then um, look at verse 14 and 15 as we close out chapter 9. And I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of the land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Now, verse 14, you can apply somewhat to today in that many have gone back over the centuries back to Israel. 
um, to be in the land, but they're in the land now in unbelief. But there will be a time when they go back in the land in belief. And that will be at the end of the tribulation. That's verse 15. He said, I'll plant them upon their land. They'll no more be pulled up. They'll never again be scattered from their land. They will be in their land. And that will happen when Jesus comes to rule and reign and set up his kingdom. So Amos, the majority of, um, of the book is concerning judgment on the nations around and, of course, Israel and Judah but especially the last two chapters um, have to do with the future, or, or excuse me, the last chapter, chapter 9 rather. But then he also mentions, back up to chapter 5 with me for a moment, verse um, 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. If you remember our last few studies at different times, we've talked about that phrase, what the day of the Lord means. It begins at the uh, beginning of the tribulation and goes all the way to the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Um, let's pick that back up. Um, the desire of the day of the Lord, to what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. If a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? Uh, and so when the tribulation uh, happens on earth, um, which is part of that day of the Lord, there will be, uh, that da the danger, there will be um, darkness uh, all over um, during that time. So let's look a little bit at some, uh, some highlights here on Amos and his message towards the people. So uh, what we try to do each time as we study a various book and we look at the overview of it, we try to go back and make it practical somewhat for, for us uh, in our day and right now. So look at chapter 5 and verse 15. This is something that he told them um, when he said that he was going to bring judgment upon uh, Judah, upon Israel. In chapter 5, verse 15, he says, Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. And of course, Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob, remember. So he says the Lord, he might be gracious unto Joseph, if you will hate the evil and love the good. In other words, remember, this is a hundred years before they go into captivity. And he says, if you'll love God, if you will, again, heed what he has to say and, you know, get rid of all your idols, quit worshiping them, come back to him. It may be that he'll show, you know, his graciousness to you. He'll be merciful to you. But he says, hate the evil, love the good. Look at two verses, uh, uh, a couple other places in the Old Testament. Um, about this chapter 97 of Psalms. Psalm 97 and verse number 10. Then we'll go over to Proverbs 8 right after that, verse 13. Psalm 97 and verse 10. Ye that love the Lord, I hope that's true of all of us, ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the soul of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. So if we love the Lord, we hate evil. Now notice it doesn't say to hate people. God never tells us to hate anybody. He says hate evil because of what evil does to people. And uh, particularly when you look at the book of Amos, what it had done to them as a nation. And so as believers, um, we, you know, if we love the Lord, we can separate those things out. We can love the Lord, but we can hate evil, not people, but hate what evil does. Um, something very similar in Proverbs 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogancy, and the evil way in the forward mouth do I hate. So the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And he told them 
um, to hate evil, love good, and that God might be you know, gracious to them if they get away from their idolatry and move, move away from it. Let's look at Amos' life for just a moment. Talk a little bit about him personally. Look at this man that God called to be a prophet to Israel uh, and to Judah both. Remember, he was one that God called to both, um, which was usually they were one or the other, but he, he had the privilege of being called to, to prophesy to both Israel and Judah. Verse 14, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdman and the gatherer of sycamore fruit. So he had two jobs. He, he was a herdman. He, he had uh, flocks, probably sheep, maybe cows too. But he, he was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. So sycamore fruit was basically, you know, it was a fruit of the poor person, the common person that day. So he was not from a wealthy family. He was not um, well known. He didn't have a pedigree, so to speak. Um, and he said, I wasn't a prophet. It wasn't like my, my father or someone before him was a prophet. And I picked up and stood in their shoes. He said, it wasn't like that at all. He said, I was, a, I was not a, even a prophet's son, but a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. But I like verse 15 because it tells us a little bit about him. We see his humility. He's not ashamed of his upbringing. He's not ashamed of where he come from. He's not ashamed of who he was before God called him. Um, he knew that it was a, you know, a, a great, um, great um, uh, calling in life to do that. And, and he took care, obviously, probably of his family very well and, and took care of probably people around him, neighbors, friends, with the fruit that he picked and the um, uh, animals, the livestock that he took care of. So he's not ashamed of that. Also, uh, we see as you read through the book of Amos in more detail than what we did tonight for time's sake, but you can see some of the things he mentions that they're basically illustrations from his daily life. God gives him those to illustrate. Remember we talked about the, the, um, where he had the vision of the fruit, of the summer fruit. Well, that's something he knew very well. Uh, and oftentimes in Scripture, God uses something from agriculture to make a point. Jesus did several times. When he taught about the, the sower that went to sow the seeds and the different types of soil, and uh, he used that several times in, his, in the way he taught. And so um, something that the common, ordinary person would understand, he kept it very simple. Uh, he kept it on the bottom shelf, so to speak. So everyone could understand that he didn't try to be high or lofty in any way. Uh, a couple of the other um, prophets that we've read about, uh, they were actually descendants of like the priestly tribe. So they probably knew a lot of the law that Amos might not have known directly. But nevertheless, God called him. And he was humble, he was simple, but also he was very faithful. He gave God's message. Now, so the thing with Amos, first he lambasts the, neighbors, the neighboring countries and how they were, you know, they had brought this idolatry into Israel and they had, you know, mistreated God's people. Remember we read about Damascus, how they had, um, how they came in and they destroyed many of God's people. And then the other um, that we talked with Felicity, where they brought them into um, slavery so, you know, he just lambasts them with God's message. But he turns around then, when he, get, when he has some credentials for that, he turns around and he tells Israel and Judah, look, you messed up. And even though the, the neighboring countries are responsible, you still messed up. And so uh, he was faithful to give God's message to everybody. And he was a success because he was faithful. He wasn't a success maybe because of great numbers or, or, great, uh, or, or people that, that um, you know, made some you know, great decisions or something. In fact, they still went into... 
uh, captivity later on, 100 years later. But he was faithful because, uh, he was successful because he was faithful. He delivered God's message. Look again at verse uh, 15. The Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Several of God's uh, servants in both, uh, most of the Old Testament, they were shepherds. Um, Moses was a shepherd. Uh, or even before that, Abel, um, Adam and Eve's son Abel, he was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Uh, David was a shepherd. And there are a couple others we read about, some of the prophets there, that were shepherds. And so a shepherd, um, as he says there uh, in verse 15, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. Then he called me and he said, go prophesy unto Israel. So he was faithful about his daily duties, but in doing so, he, like probably all the others, Moses and David, they learned a lot of things about watching sheep. They know that they knew that sheep had to be led, they had to be fed, uh, they could be very stubborn. They knew some very important things, true truths about sheep. They knew those, and so Amos would be no different. He would know that, and he would know they would need to be told and and you know um, confronted and and get their attention. And he did that in his messages, especially when he. Uh, the, the things that God gave him, the, like the, the fire and then the, the, the grasshoppers and all that, that he, he used that uh, as illustrations to get their attention. But Amos, learning from his life, uh, he was a success because he was faithful to God. Then chapter 9, verse 2, this isn't found in every book of the Bible, and it isn't found even in, in all of the prophets, I don't think, but he mentions both, both hell and heaven, and they're both in the same verse. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. Though they dig into hell, there's the mention of hell, thence shall my hand take them, though they climb up to heaven. There's a mention of heaven, thence will I bring them down. I looked through this, and um, I had never really looked how many times. I know that Jesus uh, mentioned hell, of course, several times in his perils and his sermons. But um, hell is uh, found 54 times in the Bible, Old and New Testament. The word hell is found 54 times. But the thing is, heaven is found 550 times, about 10 times more, almost 10 times more, a little over 10 times more than hell is mentioned. Heaven is found 550. And then if you include the plural, heavens, plural, it's a total of 691 times. So hell is certainly a place to shun, a place to avoid. Uh, it is a real place, but heaven, of course, is a place that you want to go, not hell. And, of course, uh, we know that trust in Christ is what gets us to heaven um, and we certainly avoid hell. But he mentions both in the same verse um, there. So let's do the tune-up of Amos. A few things that he mentions. Chapter 8 and verse 3 of Amos. And he says this. Nope. I'm sorry, 3. I'm look, I just looked ahead to 8.11. Chapter 3, verse 3. You're probably in the right place. I'm in the wrong. Here we go. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Uh, that's a very important verse about simply that one verse, uh, which you don't take a verse and build a whole doctrine around it, but there are several other verses in Scripture that agree with this verse and the importance of unity of spirit and unity of purpose. Can two walk together except they be agreed? That's true in a marriage. That's true in a friendship. That's true in a church. Um, doesn't mean they agree on everything, but they agree in their unity of their sp in spirit and in purpose, what God has called them to do. Uh, a couple of other places in Scripture that talk about that. Um, I didn't write a reference up there, but over in Proverbs chapter 13, if you'd like to write this down, Proverbs 13 
And verse number 20 says this, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So we see the important truth of association, a fellowship, a spirit, uh, a, a, a unity of spirit and a purpose. And so in his prophecy to uh, Israel uh, here in chapter 3, he tells them, you know, two, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Can they walk together except they agree? Chapter 8 and verse 11 says something else interesting in the book of Amos here. Chapter 8, verse 11. So they had... Um, Remember he talked about the grasshoppers. They would come through and they would devour their, their fruit, their vegetation, and you know they would be without food. Um, and so that happened many times in Israel's history at some point. There would be famines or something natural that would cause a famine like grasshoppers. But look at verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So he says there's, there's going to be a time, Israel, where there'll be a famine where you won't even be able to hear the words of the Lord because they had rejected them over and over and over. Again, we see the important truth in all in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Light received brings more light. Light rejected brings darkness. And so he said there's coming a famine, though, because you won't hear the words of the Lord because you've rejected them so much you, you've not heard truth. Then chapter 9 and verse 11, we looked at it already for a moment while ago, but he said, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen. Now, stop and think about that. David didn't build a tabernacle, remember? His son Solomon built the first temple. So, But it's called the tabernacle of David because David had the goal and the dream to have that tabernacle built. And then his son Solomon did it because like Nathan told him, uh, David, you've been a man of war, you've shed blood, and so you'll not be able to build the temple, but that great desire, that great goal, that great vision you had, it'll be fulfilled in your son Solomon. So even though Solomon, God used him to build the temple, David is given the, he's given the credit for it there, um, the tabernacle of David that it's called. And so, of course, it fell whenever Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple fell. Look at a couple of things about Jesus in the book of Amos, even though he's not mentioned directly as a name. But this is something I think very interesting here. Chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. I said we'd come back to this. We talked about the plumb line. Chapter 3. That is not right. I gave you the wrong reference. Let's see. Where is that supposed to be? That should be chapter 7. Verse 7 and 8, not 3. So scratch that and put 7, verse 7 and 8. Let's go back to that. Thus hath he showed me, chapter 7, verse 7. Behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not pass again pass by them anymore. A plumb line is used in building Whenever you're building a building, a plumb line is something you take a weight and you see how that uh, weight you know, uh, comes down to a point. A weight in which it holds the string taut, where the string is you know, true, true, um, uh, true tight, and they call it a plumb line. You use it for a straight line for the vertical to be able to, uh, to, to measure, to start building, to get it. To get. Now, nowadays, we use you know, um, um, 
you know, we use the bubble and we, we use, um, use, use that instead. Um, but the plumb line, of course, is used to, to uh, make a straight line. And measurements were made by it or with it to help to get everything straight, to be able to get board straight. And, of course, in our case, whenever, whenever you use a level with the bubble there, and it, it's, you know, for like putting up uh, two-by-fours and sheetrock and so forth. But it's the same idea with a plumb line. But also it's an absolute standard. Because that weight uh, gives it um, that straight line to be able to measure by, it's an absolute standard. Well, we see a, a likeness of Jesus in that and being our plumb line. Let's look at, a, at three ways that that's true. Just as it's straight and it measures and it's absolute, the same with Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 13 to 15, he is our plumb line. He is uh, the plumb line. Matthew 7, verse 13 to 15, Enter ye in at the straight gate, so straight, like the line of a plumb line. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth into life, and few there be that find it. Um, you don't have to read on to that next one. I included verse 15, but it talked about false prophets. But he said, enter at the straight gate. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way. And so just as a plumb line is straight, Jesus is our plumb line uh, is straight. Um, measurements. You may not even need to turn to this one. Romans 3, verse 10 and verse 23. Uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23. So uh, he's uh, straight in our measurements, all fall short of God's glory. And so that's why we need a Savior, because we, in and of ourselves, we can't measure up to his righteousness. We need the Savior who will give us his righteousness when we trust in him. And then there's the absolute of the plumb line. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So he is our plumb line, just as God told um, um, Amos that he was measuring the city there by, with a plumb line with a, of their, of their, of their uh, works, of their righteousness, or of their idolatry and so forth. He said, I will uh, be their plumb line. Then chapter 5, verse 8 is a reference to his creation. Amos chapter 5, verse 8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars. So God is the, the Lord, you know, he's our creator, the Lord's our creator. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into morning, and maketh the day dark with night, and calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So we see a reference to the Lord uh, there in chapter 5, verse 8, as a creator. And then... Those two verses we've already looked at are our home address for tonight. Unity of spirit in Amos 3.3 and a famine of the words of the Lord in chapter 8 and verse 11. All right, let's stop there tonight. Gone about 42 minutes, a little shorter than usual, but any questions or any uh, input or comments tonight on Amos? All right, Lord willing, what we'll do next week, if you go next door, you'll see Obadiah is just one chapter. And then you skip Jonah and Micah. And there's another book with two chapters, Nahum. It has just two chapters. So what we'll probably do is combine those next week. And uh, there may be the possibility of another book too. But we have um, those two probably um, definitely combined together next week. And then what we'll do is after, um, after that, because uh, Jonah is sandwiched right between them, 
we'll, we'll, Lord willing, come back to Jonah the following week and then probably Micah the following week too because there's seven chapters in Micah. So um, we'll look at, at Jonah as one, you know, one study by itself because it's four chapters and there's a lot in Jonah. So, All right, well, let's stand and close in prayer and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight and uh, thank you for a man named uh, Nahum who was, or, or, or a man named uh, Amos who was uh, faithful to you. We thank you, Lord, that you called him for just simple daily tasks. And Lord, it, it shows us that, Lord, you're more than willing to use the common people, all of us. We're all just common folk. And there are none of us of, of royalty, none of, none of us have a pedigree, none of us that are uh, uh, son of a prophet, so to speak. But you, you call us, Lord, to serve you in the way that you um, have for us through our gifts and through your calling. And we thank you, Lord. Help us to, to look at the example of Amos and simply to be faithful where we are, the faithful in the way that you called us, and to know, Lord, that that is real success to, in life, and we're faithful to you in whatever way that may be, that you will always bless that. Uh, you will always bless faithfulness. I uh, pray that you'll um, be with us as we leave here tonight. Keep us safe as we go through the remainder of our week. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.